Welcome back, football fans. It's Locked On NFL Draft. We are part of the Locked On Network, and we thank you for making us your first listen today. Go find another Locked On show, like, you know, maybe the Niners or maybe the Chiefs. You know, that always comes in handy. We have a great show for you. We're going to get into the big matchups. Who might be the guy that takes over the top quarterback slot? And then the rookies to watch in the NFL this year, this weekend, and how they've made up whatever progress they've made to this point. Welcome to Locked On NFL Draft. You are Locked On NFL Draft, your daily podcast covering the NFL Draft. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Locked On NFL Draft. I am your host, former NFL and NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker, and also co-host of Locked On 49ers. Make sure you guys listen to that. And also join, as always, my guy, Ryan Tracy from Locked On NFL Chiefs. How you doing, Ryan? I'm hanging in, man. How are you? Another weekend rolling. Another weekend rolling, man. And we rolling right into it, man, with just some, some quarter lane. We, we wanted to kind of jump into it because, you know, we just talked about it with Rob Rain and how this quarterback class is like, is it going to be kind of like that 2013 class with Geno Smith, who was drafted second round, and EJ Manuel? Those were the only guys that kind of went a little bit higher. And who's going to take control and really be that guy? And there is one guy who had a big performance last week against Tennessee, and that's Matt Corral. We're talking about 21 he completed 21 out of 38 passes, which isn't ideal, 230 yards. Okay, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, not the most efficient night, but also 195 yards on the ground from Matt Carell, and I don't think too many people expected that. Yes, he can move, but that was a little bit like an outer body experience, huh? I, did you say 195? I totally missed that. Like That, that seems not anything like I expect from him, but... If you're going to be dual threat, that certainly is highlighting it, right? Right. So, you know, we're looking at the NFL and kind of where they're going at the quarterback position. And teams, I don't want to say they're prioritizing guys that move, but I think they are making more of a conscious effort to incorporate that type of style of quarterback into their offense. And, you know, clearly, as you see, I mean, running for 195 yards, that is not an accident for Matt Corral. But the arm, do you think that, you know, what we've seen from Correll as a passer is something that will kind of, you know, hoist him up there high enough to where he potentially can be maybe even a, a top five quarterback in this class? I mean, I, I think it's it's up for grabs at this point. Like, who can ascend to that? Maybe first, maybe second, too, right? Like, I still think there's probably two first-round quarterbacks in here because teams are going to press for quarterbacks, right? The question for me is, what's what's the rest of the class? Is this, like, 2013 where there's two names that you can even remember and the rest are, like, third-rounders, that kind of thing? That's the real right. question for me. 195 will put an asterisk next to your name, I'll tell you that. But when it's rushing, <laughs> not throwing, I don't know. That's that's the hard part. I, what I've seen, and I've watched uh, bits and pieces of a couple of his games. I have not done any film on him yet. But I like the I like the concept. I like the the way that he moves about his business. I wouldn't say he's lacking poise, but it does feel a little frenetic to me at times. And so, like, I want to see that settle down too. But you know, this is like I think this is where you make your mark. 
from this point of the season, you know, that the second half as you try to push through, especially given the, the conference that you're playing, this is a chance for him to go up there and, and at least push for being that number one quarterback. Yeah, and I do want to say because, you know, obviously we do the Locked On NFL Draft show, and you and I have been like legit draft guys. We've been focusing more on prospects during the draft season, not so mm -hmm. much throughout the year. So right now I'm still kind of going about things the normal way. I actually have paid more attention to college football because we talk about this on a daily basis and a lot of these prospects that we'll be breaking down. But the bulk of our film evaluations and really when we get the film – that really starts more towards like January. So right now we are kind of watching guys and giving our takes. And, and when I was watching Matt Corral, you know, that was one thing that kind of jumped out to me, like from the passing standpoint, when he plays in rhythm, he's really good. I, I think he's sharp. Uh, their offense at Ole Miss, and, you know, maybe this is Lane Kiffin being able to kind of diagnose these things and dial these things up, where the reads are – they're there, right? There's a clear vision for what the reads are. And I think when Matt Correll plays within that rhythm of the offense, it looks good. But once mm -hmm. he has to start kind of maybe going through more or look off of what the initial read, and when I say initial read, because I think a lot of times when people think of like a one read quarterback, they think that they're looking at just this one offensive guy. Okay, I'm looking at my receiver, and if he's open, I'm going to throw him the ball. That, that's not necessarily what it is. Typically – with reads, you go out there, you look, and you think you know what you're seeing with the defense. And then you're looking at, you're probably reading one guy on the defense, and he's going to probably dictate who you throw to, whether it's one or whether it's two. And then if it ends up not being exactly what you think, you know, that you saw pre-snap, then you look for your check down. So you kind of have three options that are kind of predicated off of one guy kind of on the defensive side of the ball. And when I was watching him, one thing was it was very clear again. When he when he gets that ball, boom, and he looks and he's and he's looking to that side. And if it's if post snap matches up what he saw pre-snap, he gets the ball out with rhythm. It looks good. The art the ball comes out of his hand really good. It looks like a natural smooth thrower. But when they kind of take that part away, it does start to look a little frenetic like you talked about. And it looks like he's a little unsure. And that's when things can start to get a little sketchy. And it's, it's tough because, you know, you try to figure out what, what, what is it going to look like? How is that going to translate mm -hmm. to the NFL? Is he going to have these clear defined reads every time he drops back to throw in the NFL? And if not, what does it look like then? And I think for him, maybe even more so than some of the other guys, that's one thing that can be a bigger kind of transition for him as, you know, teams kind of look into it. And again, I mean, these are things that a lot of guys go through, You whether it's uh, Justin Fields or, you know, um, you know, it's a lot of guys, uh, Trevor Lawrence, mm -hmm. you know, even I think Mac Jones was really good. I don't want to lump him into that. I thought he was good pre-snap, post-snap, accurate with the ball, all those things. He did those things very well. But, yeah, Corral, I think if there is one area he can improve, it's probably when pre-snap doesn't match post snap and i might i might be in the the minority here but they're playing a team this week that i think they've lost the, their top uh pass rusher in alley gay but i i like the ojalari kid uh bj lsu is a team that what got four picks last week and i understand the level of competition is exactly the same but this is another one where if they can get him off his spot and make him get to that that panic point. Let's see how he deals it with a team that clearly has the capability to manufacture some takeaways. 
I'm, I'm actually more interested in this game than I thought I was going to be looking at the, at the matchups early. And we have some other games that are going to be a lot of fun to look at as well. We'll get to that right after this. We are back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all your basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to receive your bonus. All right, from basketball, football, baseball, postseason uh, baseball, NHL, hockey, uh, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. All right, so bet online where the games start. So where you want to go? Should we get west, east, up, down, north, south? I don't know. What, what do you got? Well, there's a big game over there on the West Coast. And again, I like to kind of give the West Coast a little love. Obviously, I'm from the West Coast. But you have UCLA against Oregon. And Oregon, you know, top 10 team, uh, I believe they're 5-1 on the season. UCLA, they have two losses. They're not even ranked, but they have five wins. And, my man, Chip Kelly, for as much as people have dragged him to start off his time at UCLA, which it did not start well. And I'm like, dang, how long is he going to last? I think if he was in the SEC, he probably wouldn't have lasted this long. But They've given it time. They've let him develop. He has DTR there at quarterback. I think he's brought him along well, and hopefully he can uh, tell DTR, hey, you need to stay for another year and really kind of build on what they're uh, building right now over there at UCLA. But UCLA versus Oregon and UCLA, and you were kind of shocked to hear this. They actually are the favorites, one-point favorite, uh, you know, and, you know, playing at home against Oregon. What are kind of your thoughts on just – in, in theory, what that matchup looks looks like. I, I was you're right. I I was blown away. I was like, it's one thing to to be a team that whose quarterback is developing, and I'm glad that that it is. But I didn't think, even with five wins, that that was going to work out. That that Vegas feels that that spread should be that way. Right. I, I, the thing that I come back to is we hear all about Thibodeau all the time. There's a they have a big win Oregon does over Ohio State from earlier in the season. I don't he didn't even play in that game. So on paper, this this doesn't look like a matchup that should be that consuming for Oregon to, to try to pull off. But he gets into the, the Kelly aspect of it, right? And what he's getting out of the quarterback and how he's getting the rest of that team to step up. And for me, I, I drift back to, you know, chip coached Oregon a few few hundred years ago. Has he still got a chip on his chip shoulder? I don't know. That might come out in <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, one guy that we don't talk about because I don't think he's draft eligible, but Flo. Right, that middle linebacker for right. uh, uh, Oregon. They they have some guys there that that are running to the ball. Sewell, he's, a, he's his a little brother, right? At, yeah, he's not eligible. Yeah, yet. <laughs> he's not eligible, right? He's a so, he's a sophomore, I believe. So, yeah. um, but he's a guy who can really when I when you watch Oregon play, and I know again, like you said, everybody's going to talk about Thibodeau, but the other guy that really jumps out is definitely Sewell. He's yeah. flying around. He he has the swagger out there. He's running to the ball. He's hitting guys. Um, I, I mean, he's somebody who I, I'd say if I have one knock on what I've seen from him so far, it's probably the fact that he gets banged up a little bit too much throughout games. But I think that's just, you know, happens when you play that physical brand of football. And he's going to need to because uh, UCLA, man, they got some running backs over there. They really have a tandem of backs 
between uh, Charbonnet, right? I believe that's how you say his name, the kid that was the uh, the transfer from University of Michigan. Right. Uh, good, Don't ask good me athlete there. That. Yeah, I, I, I believe it's I believe it's Char Charbonnet. All right, I'm going but, with it. Whatever uh, you say, dude. Yeah, Char Charbonnet. Um, you know, he's has almost you know 700 yards on the season on 109 carries, seven touchdowns. So he's been uh, tremendous. I think that's one thing where you know how is Sewell gonna match up against a Charbonnet, especially in the Hogan Charbonnet. He's he's a big dude. And we yeah. talked about how Sewell has kind of been throwing his body around and kind of at times gets a little banged up. Charbonnet is, you know, north of 220 pounds at running back. So that's going to be an intriguing matchup there, even more so than what's going on at the quarterback position with uh, DTR, uh, you know, Thompson uh, Robinson. So, you know, not, not a star-studded game in the sense of, you know, just high power, uh, you know, prospects. But I think there are some guys that are notable. In, in this game and really more so from the uh, UCLA side. I think the thing that is a little surprising is that with Oregon, their leading rusher right now is Die, uh, number 26, mm -hmm. I believe. And that's surprising to me because Vardell, I thought this was going to be his year. I thought this was going to be, you know, the breakout season for him. And he's not even leading, leading Oregon in rushing right now. I thought he'd be a guy that was clear cut, like, okay, this is my time. He stayed for another year. Looks like that's not going to be the case. No, it doesn't. I'm a little surprised by that as well. It's, I guess you just have to adapt to the situation that you're in and clearly where it is right now. This becomes, like you said, a game that I didn't think the spread was going to be this big on, but this is like serious contention because there's a lot, well, maybe not a lot. There's a few people that think Oregon ought to be in the, the bigger conversation for the college playoff. I think they're very, very much on the outside looking in right now. There's, I think, a consensus for teams for the most part. Do you have any problem with, with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and, and Oklahoma being the four at this point? Well, no. And, you know, we talked about, shoot, just Cincinnati and, and mm -hmm. them in the mix. And I think that's kind of the surprising thing. We looked at the AP poll, and they got Cincinnati number two. And, you know, I get it. Again, it kind of goes back to the, they, they've had a couple – Nice wins, one win against, I believe it was Indiana, then obviously the Notre Dame game. That was a huge mm -hmm. win for Cincinnati and a big game for Desmond Ritter, who I've been somewhat kind of critical of him and, and wanted to see him kind of take that next step and was like, hey, why did you come back to school? It was to show that you're more of the guy and, you know, more efficient as a passer. And I think his accuracy still is a little spotty, but he possesses really good traits from his arm strength to his athleticism. And right now, he's really leading Cincinnati, again, to be the number two team in the AP poll in the nation, the number three in the coaches poll. So, I mean, they're right there in the mix. And if the playoffs started today, they'd be in there. And they'd yeah. be playing against Oklahoma. What do you think about this? And this is how uh... – I don't want to say that the playoff system is flawed. But <laughs> if the playoffs started today, it would be Cincinnati against Oklahoma mm -hmm. and Georgia against Alabama. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't you, sound right, of, does it? Yeah, that was almost like, and you know, I don't know how into baseball you are, but my San Francisco Giants is like, man, right away, it's like, damn, we got, you know, we won 107 games, and we have to play against a team that won 106 games in the in the LA Dodgers. It's like, man, how does that how does that happen? And this that seems like that kind of matchup where you end up. We want to see those two teams in the championship potentially, unless they get knocked off. But 
to have an Oklahoma and Cincinnati have to play against each other as opposed to them having to go up against an Alabama or Georgia. It just doesn't seem right. <laughs> it's just delaying the inevitable, right, Georgia fans? Yeah, I, I hear you out there, dogs. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see what happens, though, and it's not over yet. At this point in the season, things can still change, and, and maybe Ritter has. I think maybe next week we should talk about his progression after we see another ball game out of him, but we got to take a look at what's going on in the NFL with those rookies, particularly some of the, those quarterbacks and one wide receiver that I, I really want to talk about. So we'll do that coming up next. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? I mean, there's something for everyone. And when you talk about Built Bar fan, they are definitely passionate about their favorites. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, man, come on now, man, you are missing out. My personal favorite and my wife's favorite, salt, salted caramel, my kids' favorite, cookies and cream, but they have coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, orange, strawberry, German chocolate, man, all type of flavors, man, and they are all so good, all right? And not only are Built Bar uh, flavors the best tasting out there on the market, but they're also healthy too. We're talking about 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, and only four to five grams of sugar, man. So if you're somebody like me who likes to do late night snacks, that's not a lot of sugar. You'll be good with eating these and only four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. So order today and get the grasshopper cookie, the raspberry, or again, my favorite, the salted caramel. All right. So Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Isn't that pretty cool? Built.com and use promo code Locked on 15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked on 15 for 15% off at built.com. Go get that right now. Let's go. Okay, rookies in the NFL. I don't know. Like, is there something to it? Did Trevor Lawrence actually pull off the miracle that got, got the Jags an actual win? Can he do it again? Yeah, it, you know, it was a weird game. And and Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's that this is the one thing with all these guys, with these rookies. Everybody wants these guys to come in and immediately just look like the guy, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or any of these other guys. And they all go through their different ups and downs, their different challenges. They all have different challenges with the teams that they were drafted to. You know, I actually thought Jacksonville had some legit talent. You had a thousand yard rusher in Robinson, mm -hmm. you know. And then he changed his net, he changed his number, and I thought that made him even look sweeter out there. He went from like number thirty three to or number thirty something to to number twenty five. I'm like, okay, you look like a legit running back now. Uh, and then, you know, you look at who he had on the outside. You got you got a guy, and they're different style of receivers. Not and I like this. You got Marvin Jones. I like him. Mm -hmm. Is he a legit wide receiver one? I don't think he's that, but he's a really good wide receiver too. And then you have DJ Sharp. You know, another talented receiver. And then you also have uh, Chanel. And Chanel has kind of been more of the high-volume guy. And I'm like, man, I, I think some of these – I think the, the targets should be flipped. And Marvin Jones should get more targets than Chanel. But they've been doing everything to kind of get him the ball in space. And you saw in that game, uh, really it was both Chanel and Marvin Jones really making plays to get the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars over the top and ultimately beating uh Miami Dolphins team that's kind of – really kind of really right now they're not they're not playing extremely well yeah and i thought it was interesting that it went to Chanel there when they needed it at the end right but 
for me, it comes back to the quarterback and what he's doing to deliver the ball. And I don't see any reason, I mean, unless you're playing Jalen Ramsey or something, that he shouldn't be pushing to the outside and trying to hit those outside targets. But clearly at this point, and maybe, hey, it's a week where Urban didn't do anything that we have to complain about, right? Let's cross our fingers and maybe we won't have to talk about it next week either. But but maybe it's about the coaching staff. Maybe it's about the game planning that is, is trying to keep things tight and simple and get the ball out of his hands, maybe help him out a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the case. And you know, talk about helping get the ball out of guys' hands. You know, I want to talk a little bit about Mac Jones and kind of what he's doing with New England. And, and with all these guys, you want to see them go to the right place for them. And I think with Mac Jones drafted at number fifteen overall, and a lot of people are speculating that he even go top five. And I, I didn't see that type of pure raw talent to be drafted in that range because more times than not, when you're picking that high, you want a, a guy with elite physical uh, traits and super high-end upside. And Mac Jones, while extremely good and and a very efficient quarterback, is is he ever going to be that guy? Now, again, I I try to look at what a guy could be like and what's more likely, and obviously there's a high-end side. So if you're looking at Mac Jones and you're thinking like, high-end, what can he be? And it's like, okay, I see Tom Brady, I see Drew Brees, you know, and he's kind of that mode of quarterback. More than likely, he's going to probably be closer to a, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, Baker Mayfield, kind of that kind of quarterback where, team, you know, they ask, is is this guy a truck or is he a trailer? And I think he is a little bit more of a trailer, but he is so efficient. I think he's a terrific ball distributor. I do think that he could possibly be doing a little bit better if maybe their weapons were a little bit more reliable. Right now he's relying on Jacoby Myers, who's never mm-hmm. scored a touchdown in his NFL career. That's kind of his number one guy. Uh, you know, I just look at, at him and kind of what he's doing and how they set him up. And, you know, he's completing 70% of his passes right now. He threw a touchdown that could have potentially won the game to, to uh, Kendrick Bourne, 75-yard touchdown uh, late in that game against the Dallas Cowboys. And that was his longest completion. I mean, 75 yards, that's a long completion. But before that, his longest completion was 30 yards. So that kind of tells you how he's not really pushing the ball down the field. He's really been efficient with how they're calling plays for him. Mm-hmm. So that's been something really cool to see with Mac Jones and how efficient he has been, especially in comparison to the other guys from this class. Because the other guys, while maybe they've showed more high upside and more high-end plays, and they've made some throws where he's just like, wow, not a lot of guys can make that throw. You don't really say that with Mac Jones, but he does everything pretty well. Yeah, like well-rounded, right? Like I would actually call him a truck just with a flat tire. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't have that, <laughs> that, that guy with the wheels to really help him out, but – He's, yeah. he's working with Josh McDaniels. I think that's that's challenging, and they're they're adapting the game to him and to his targets. So, more power to him, I guess. I don't know. I, I think he would be better off if he had somebody like Jamar Chase, who I think, despite everything preseason and you know the the yips that he had with the ball, the, there are people calling him not just the best rookie wide receiver, but the best deep threat in the league. Period. That seems a little outlandish to me when you have yeah. guys out there. Uh, that have done this for a number of seasons. How do you, how do you think about where his game is evolutionally? Oh man, so Jamar Chase, this was a guy who I had pushed back on. You know, I, I pushed back on him a little bit. There were a lot of guys that were tagging him as this generational prospect. I'm like, come on, man, he's not quite that. Uh, 
you know, I, I noted right away, like, oh, okay, there's one thing that I'm seeing is a trend. And it wasn't to be different. I'm just like, oh, this guy struggles with separation. And my biggest thing was, you know, when you're playing in the NFL and these guys are, you know, tired of coverage, how consistent is he going to be at winning the way that he wins with, which mostly everything was vertically pushing and, you know, winning at the catch point. And he had terrific body control. He had terrific hands in the big plays. Mm. But he was like, man, how consistent is it going to be at the next level? Well, it's been very consistent. Now, if you watch him throughout games, you know, there's some games where he'll have like two catches, but then like, or three catches. And out of those three catches, two of them are like 25 plus yards. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's been this high volume catch guy, right? That's just consistently getting open and he's just a problem throughout the entire game. But at some point in the game, he will give you that big play. And so, you know, for them to say that he's the best deep ball guy in the NFL, it's kind of hard to argue with that because he's averaging 20 yards a catch right now. And when Joe Burrow just drops back, he's just airing it out and letting uh, Jamar Chase kind of run underneath the ball. And I think uh, it's tough because you want to see a guy, when, when you start saying they're the best at something in the NFL, you want to see them do it over a consistent basis. But I'd say early on throughout six games, he's been tremendous with it for sure. Let me ask you, because I was kind of big on this pre-draft. How big a difference do you think it makes that these guys have played together before? This is this is not a new relationship. They know they can count on each other. I think it's huge. And that was one thing I noted when he was coming out of college. I'm, I, I was watching you know, Joe Burrow. And one thing with Jamar Chase, it was really weird because this he lost matchups the same way he won matchups, which was with physicality. So most people... You know, they just know, wow, they see the 50-50 ball catches and all that. Obviously, people don't make highlights of the times where he is locked up and he isn't making those catches. But I thought kind of like Des Bryant, and we saw a transition from Tony Romo and Des Bryant to Dak Prescott and De Des Bryant where, you know, Dak wasn't as comfortable just throwing that ball up and giving Des Bryant an opportunity to come down with it, Right. Romo was extremely comfortable with it. He was willing to just throw the ball in that area. He's going to put the ball in a good place, and Des Bryant was going to go get it. I thought this was the perfect scenario for Jamar Chase, a guy who doesn't quite get as much separation as you would like, and sometimes he does vertically, sometimes he doesn't. But regardless, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow, his college co quarterback, is putting the ball in an area where Jamar Chase can go up, make a play, and come down with it. And so far – that's been something that's been efficient in the sense of happening on a game to game basis. Okay. Last thing. Cause I want, I want your take on this and I'm waiting so far in me personally for someone to step out and claim the defensive, the rookie of the year mantle. Right. And so when I look at who's doing what, uh, I know Micah Parsons started hot. Everybody was, it was in on him. You know, I think Pat Sertan's played really well. Sorry, Patrick Stan jr. Second, whatever you go by there, Pat. Um, <laughs> I know there's there's a lot of takes back and forth, but for me, like the guy that I'm waiting to step up is is uh, Odafe Owe, Jason Owe from College Fans. When we before we knew his name, um, I, I want to see him take a step forward. Is there anybody in particular this weekend that you're watching to see if if they'll go kind of claim that? Well, I was actually, you know, before we got on there, I was just watching Patrick Sertan and how well he was playing against Jarvis Landry. And the you know Cleveland Brown, Brown receivers, and he's challenging guys at the catch point, breaking up passes. Uh, he was coming down physical uh, at you know the contact point with tackling. Now, 
excuse me, he did miss one tackle on the running back, kind of shook him at mm-hmm. uh, kind of faked him out and did like a jump cut. But overall, I've been extremely impressed with him. And you know, he was a guy who I was curious to see how exactly is his game going to translate to the NFL because he is a 6'2, 208-pound cornerback who I thought ran well, but was like, uh, he lacks a little bit of suddenness and a little bit of twitch. And, and, and you know, we'll see when he has to go up against maybe some smaller, uh, quicker, twitchier receivers, and will that end up being an issue? But so far, he's been outstanding. So um, I just watched him, and I loved what I was seeing in that game. Uh, there was a cornerback on the other side, Greg Newsom, who I talked about wanting to see how he did. I thought he was looking good in that game. Gave up a go route to uh, Courtney Sutton early in the game, but, I mean, the coverage was as good as you could it could possibly be. So it was cool to see Greg Newsom. But Parsons, who I believe the Cowboys have a bye this weekend, but he is a guy, when we talk about defensive player of the year, mm-hmm. the position that he plays and the ability for him to consistently be able to make plays, be in the backfield, he's rushing off the edge, you know, pressuring quarterbacks. Uh, they're usually using him in a multitude of ways. It's been really cool to kind of really see that, especially for a guy who I'm like, man, you know, some guys are like, what is he? Is he going to be just a pure edge rusher? Is he going to be that kind of real, you know, stack uh, linebacker? Right now, he's whatever you need him to be. And if the Cowboys continue to do well, it's going to shine more light on what this kid is doing as opposed to, you know, uh, you know Patrick Sertan the second playing for the Denver Broncos. And, you know, they're out there kind of getting their butts kicked a little bit. If the Cowboys continue to win, I think people are going to really point to what uh, Parsons is doing and kind of that's going to put him up above a lot of the other guys in this class from the, on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it, folks. Make sure that you check out everything that they're doing as well as everything that we're doing here. Thanks for making us your first listen today. Make sure you like, sub, and hit that bell notification over on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to us on a podcast, we appreciate your iTunes reviews. Let us know how you like the new format and what we're doing. And thank you, Croc, for putting up with me. All right, y'all have a great one, and we'll talk to you Monday. Peace.